Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. Real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. We're on fire. Welcome, yeah. welcome, welcome. Tonight we have a fabulous show. We're going to be talking about space. Yes. Uh, so our first guest tonight is, uh, may I say full disclosure? Wait, okay, that would take a long time. Uh, some disclosure. He's a friend of mine. Uh, he is a former director of the Ames Research Center here in the Bay Area. He was the first Mars program director. He developed the airbag-assisted landing for rovers on Mars. He's a, on the board of the B612 Foundation. You'll hear about that. He's the editor of New Space Magazine, and most importantly to me, he's on the board of the Planetary Society, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Scott Hubbard. <laughs> Doctor, so good to see you. One-armed guy hug, yes. How are you? He's the Mars czar. The Mars czar. Well, wait, wait, there's more. Like so many of you. Our next guest got her PhD in astrophysics. <laughs> She's now the head of SRV, which is a fabulous NASA acronym. She's advancing space science and human exploration into the solar system. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Yvonne Pendleton. And we have one more comic guest. Uh, it is my great pleasure to introduce. He plays uh, my father on Bob's Burgers, and he is... The voice of Archer, ladies and gentlemen, H. John Benjamin! Wow. We got us a crowd, people. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get this started! <laughs> Sorry. Are there any questions on what we've covered so far? <laughs> there will be a quiz. <laughs> uh, let me ask you this, uh, Dr. Pendleton, Yvonne. What is this <laughs> This acronym stands for the Solar System Exploration Research Virtual Institute. And what that means, what? and I did not pick the acronym, okay. But what this means is we have researchers across the country, about 300 of them, but they communicate primarily, you know, through computers and using technology. Like and the we, kids do. Yeah, and yeah. we... <laughs> 
Yeah. Like using Snapchat? <laughs> uh, something a little different, but uh, we save a lot of money that way, and we get a lot of cross-team collaboration. So you get groups of people who would never really even go to the same meetings talking to each other and getting new ideas and doing new science. I'm skeptical. <laughs> no, no, not I'm sorry. <laughs> I that, am that's skeptical. That's my go-to thing to say, right. It's going to be a lot of that. <laughs> I am skeptical. Thank you. Right. Uh, what are you reminds me about? a little bit, the, in the future, the offices will have no paper. So there, you're saying you've got 300 people, these are all in the U.S.? These are in the U.S. We also have eight international partners. And what is, what is our goal at Zervi? So the goal is instead of having a bricks and mortar institute that you had to build, you bring people together and they're the best teams that you could make regardless of where they are, geographically located or what. They might have a lab facility that another group wants to use or something like that. What have we done? How long have we been in business? Well, Servi has only been up and running for about a year, but it had its predecessor institute, which was only focused on the moon. Was, was that called... the University of Phoenix Online? <laughs> <laughs> now, when you say focused on the moon, it wasn't just telescopes. <laughs> it, it wasn't just telescopes. It was the same thing. It was a virtual institute called the NASA Lunar Science Institute. And that was around for, for four years before Servi came online. And before that, there was something that Scott Hubbard started, which is the NASA Astrobiology Institute, and it's still going. It's uh, maybe 16, 16 years, years old. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So teenager. We, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Teenagers doing science. Yeah. <laughs> You're an astrophysicist. Right. So were, were you working on the moon? Not exactly. How many people here are not astrophysicists? <laughs> a couple, a couple. Oh. A few. But you guys aren't that into but, the moon, right? Generally, writ large. Not usually. We try to go observing when the moon is out of the way, you know. The connection is that I'm really interested in the origin of the basic building blocks of life, the things that make up all of you sitting in the audience and us sitting up here. And where did those come from? They came from the stars, and how did they evolve? And how did they get transported to a place like the Earth? So I studied comets and the stuff that comets bring a long time before I realized that we've got the moon right next door where those comets have been dumping that stuff for four and a half billion years. What a yeah, cool place, just bastards. go visit. <laughs> <laughs> just dumping, dumping it wherever they want. Okay. <laughs> So, I gotta say, from my own experience, I was very skeptical that there was water on the moon. Because... Yeah. We didn't leave any. <laughs> right. And why wouldn't it all evaporate into the icy blackness of space? But your claim, there or your observation, or they have found, you know, we them... Have, it's proven, yes. That absolutely. there's water on the moon? in many different forms, at least three different sources. Is one of the forms water? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, forms does it have. I think it has around three. <laughs> ice. Uh, but actually, not liquid. Not so, liquid. Yeah. No, but we yeah. found ice in the bottom of the craters where, you know, you kind of expected it Bottled, should be there. Oh, yeah. Bottles. Right? Bottles. Yeah. But yeah. There, is, uh, there are the makings of water, OH radicals, oh, oxygen, hydrogen, all over the surface of the moon. And that is getting interacted by, with the, the sun. The solar particles from the sun come, and they bring more hydrogen, and then you get water. 
So that's another way. And then there's a third part. There's a, but wait, there's more. Wait, there's more. <laughs> now, okay, this, well, what are those two? Enumerate those two. First of all, H2O molecules. The ice inside the crater yeah. is OHEs ice. that get nailed right. with an H. That's the one on the surface. And they yeah. make some more H2Os. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And now the third one. The third one. It turns out that the moon wasn't this dry body in the sky that we thought it was. Oh, no. No. Mm-hmm. no. And, and because mm. the moon and the Earth share a history, uh, what we found when we found water in the rocks on the moon, when Apollo astronauts picked up these rock samples, uh, and later we were able to find out there was quite a bit of water in those rocks, we learned that those rocks came up from deep inside the moon, and it's because the Earth was probably wet at the time when that big Mars-sized object hit the Earth and created the moon. Do, do, Some do, of that do. water went to the moon. So I look like nobody, and, but I've, hand, I've touched a moon rock, right? Okay. Yeah. It's not wet. <laughs> so what's, okay. what do you say there's a lot of water in a moon rock? So, what are we talking about? You know, we get excited about... Uh, a, a little tiny bit of water we think is a lot because we thought it was really dry. So instead of one part in a billion, there's six parts in a billion or something like that. Mm. And, no, uh, no, I guess but that would be but enough for horses to live there. <laughs> <laughs> like one horse. Like, yeah, one so. horse. <laughs> so we are all about, or my understanding is you're, look, you're trying to get humans to the moon, right? Well, it's not that we, survey are trying to get humans to the moon, but should humans want to go back to the moon or near-Earth asteroids or the moons of Mars, those are all the things we study, we could help tell you what you need to know before you go. That sounds great. Like what kind of stuff? Well, for instance, space is a pretty harsh environment, and so you need to as know... As harsh as junior high or worse? <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, we're going to go, with, hypothetically, we're going to go to the moon, and you're going to give me a shopping list of stuff to take? What we would do is tell you what to wear, where to touch, and when to flush. <laughs> Are you the Us Weekly of space travel? <laughs> <laughs> Who wore it best? Uh, and and the whole there's a whole outfit you got to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it just, better have some it. metal on the outside of it, so that when you like go up to that metal. asteroid and you touch something, you know, you don't get zapped. Oh, is it static it electricity? You mean? Well, the thing is, there it's kind of complicated, but there are these plasmas in space, and when the plasma field uh, is low, uh, 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 okay. What is a, <laughs> Yeah. What is it's a nice plasma? try just saying plasmas in space like we all knew that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, just think of it as highly energetic particles that are um, going, going, zipping around you. And, and so there are places, for instance, on the moon, there are places where uh, the, the, the solar wind comes across the moon's surface and it can reduce the plasma field. And when the plasma field is reduced, then any rover that's, you know, its wheels are turning along the surface of the moon, it would need to have some, something to protect it so that you're grounded. Uh, once that oh, so get z- yeah, z- so right. get your hair and, stands on end. And yeah, and it turns out the same thing might be true for astronauts going up to an asteroid. Uh, they might need to have some sort of protection around their suit. So we're finding out stuff like that. So I got one number in my notes. On the moon, 600 million tons of water. There are lots of numbers like that. That one, um, you know, various well, people will whole, say. Yeah, it seems like there's an infinite number. Uh, <laughs> Okay, peer-reviewed published numbers. 
Uh, and But the thing is, it's ongoing research, and I wouldn't stick with just one number right now because another study could come out soon that might say something different. I don't know. The point is there's a whole lot more than we thought right. would be there. And why do you care? You care because water is a resource. I mean, it's something we all need, not just humans to live, but, uh, you know, if you want to make fuel to go somewhere else, so yeah. like to Mars. Is this where finesse comes in? Finesse, that is a cool name for one of our teams it's, that we have. So, <laughs> now, Dr. Sorry. Hubbard, you're, you're on the NAC for example, right? That's right. right. The, the, not the group. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. yeah the the NAC right. had one hit. My Sharona. Yeah, right. there he is. <laughs> there he is. Yeah. You I mean, science aside, you're in the band The NAC. That's right. <laughs> uh, I'm on the NASA Advisory Council. So it doesn't play music. Here's just the point I wanted to make. They also have a band. Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor. Doctor Harvard, your NAC doesn't start with a K. No, yeah, it starts right. with an N. But just notice that the NAC is an acronym within an acronym. It's an embedded acronym, oh, yeah. the worst kind, yes. And so Lose then points, <laughs> finesse is, as right. I understand it, field investigations to enable solar system science and exploration, <gasps> right? Finesse is a, th a program within your in virtual institute. Right. We have nine teams, and that's one of them, and it, that one is run out of NASA Ames Research Center. Right. Right. Wait, wait, so finesse is an acronym, too? Finesse yeah. is an acronym. Mm -hmm. Inside okay. NASA, inside Ames. That's inside Survey. Inside Survey. Yeah. Whoa. We love man. our acronyms. Like wow. Russian dolls of letters. Yeah. Hey. So that no one can cut funding because they just, how would you even know where to start? finally <laughs> 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 oh. figured it out. Yeah. That's good. So I like that. We need more acronyms. <laughs> What has Finesse done? What is it doing that enables, right. it's human, you were trying to enable human exploration, is that mm -hmm. right? Or we just are. We're trying to address science questions that human exploration needs to know the answers to. And so what Finesse is doing is looking at analog sites on the Earth that would be comparable to, you know, where you might be exploring on an asteroid or on the moon. And E.g., uh, exempli gratia, for example. Oh, well, in Idaho, there's a, a cra Craters of the Moon uh, place That's in a state Idaho. park, uh, or a national park. Yep, and uh, they go there and they, uh, they do remote uh, sensing with their robots and things. They have their scientists in the, what they call the back room, so that if you were on the moon and you were doing this robotically, you wouldn't be able to just run out and turn a switch. So they make themselves do all that kind of stuff here, and they try to figure out, you know, well, what would you really have to do if you were on the surface of the moon and this happened or that happened? Or what would you have to do if you're going up to, you know, a big boulder on an asteroid? Yeah. So. And so do you also mess around with those delays? They do. They build that in as well. Yeah. Right? What are the delays? The time, time delay so that, you know, when you send a message, message up to, to the, the moon, moon and it comes back, it takes like three seconds and... And it turns out that there's a, a natural built-in computer delay that is almost that long uh, going, you know, like across, across the world. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, we got to fix that. <laughs> <laughs> but the speed of light's still an issue. Yeah. 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 Well, even at the Institute. Got to finesse it. We can't solve everything, yeah. So if, what is in the solar wind that we're all, we always talk about the solar wind? Electrons and protons and hydrogen. And so when the hydrogen well, comes hydrogen out, is a proton. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, so we use those terms interchangeably, but I, with you, I know I could just say hydrogen, right? But electrons and protons are coming Yeah, but with me, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So is there some scheme that you guys work at, work on, they're finessing, uh, to scrape up OHs and HFI them into H2O? Uh, you know, that <laughs> particular team isn't working on that particular problem, but that is the kind of thing that new teams that come into survey in the future might actually decide to address. So what we do is we, we provide funding for five years for the current teams, but in another year we're going to have another competition and new teams are going to come in and join the old ones so that you always have this memory, corporate memory going on. So when you say funding, what, are, you, what well, are my tax NASA, dollars doing? So NASA provides the funding for survey uh, for these teams, and it's both the science mission directorate and the human exploration part of NASA. And so they together give the funds to, to us at the central office. But how much Ames. money is it? $100? About $15 million a year. $15 million. Okay, and the... <laughs> The teams only get, you know, they're nine teams, so they get some smaller part of oh, it, right? So you split it nine ways. Yeah. 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 They get most of it because, you know, we're a virtual institute, so we don't need a lot to run the central office. And so we fund them, and then uh, they have to report back to us what they're doing. And I'm just amazed at how productive these teams have been. In less than a year, there are many hundreds of peer-reviewed publications that have already come out of these teams. That's Go survey is what I'm getting. Yeah. 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 So it's a lot of banker bucks. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Talking about asteroids. Yeah. And uh, meat of it. if the Earth gets hit with an asteroid, uh, a, a, even a small one, like the size of this stage, for those of you on the radio, it's not that big. Uh, it would be very troubling. Is that accurate? I would say so, yes. So, you know, if an asteroid you know, the asteroid the size of right the stage here. hit San Francisco. <laughs> if it hit the stage, right here, or what would happen? You would be obliterated. You would be atoms. We that would be, but how, but sure. The, that, that would expected. be a relief, let's and be the first, <laughs> But how far would it go? And like, the first ten rows. No, the, this entire build, this entire section of San Francisco. So even be, the balcony. All right. Would be turned into atoms. <laughs> but, but meaning for what, ten miles, five miles, a hundred miles? 
Uh, well, it depends on how big the thing is. If we had something that was about, let's say, 50 feet, would you mm -hmm. buy that? Okay, 50 feet, yeah. you right. know. Uh, uh, 17 meters, that's the size of the thing that blew up over Chelyabinsk in Russia two years ago, mm -hmm. and it damaged uh, about a thousand homes. It, it blew up at 60,000 feet. Sorry. It was like an airburst coming down, mm -hmm. and uh, about 1,100 people were sent to the hospital, and if it, that had gotten all the way to the ground. Nobody died. Been, nobody died. Nobody died, but if that... So we're fine. So, <laughs> as long as it doesn't get to the ground. Well, what if happens it, if it hits the ground? So it has to be a bigger in order to get to the ground. Uh, yeah, it depends on what state. it's made of and how it comes in and what, you know, a whole what bunch angle of physics in. stuff. It sure. depends on a lot of physics. But what happens when it hits the ground? Well, it hits the, if it had gotten all the way to the ground, of. it would have been the equivalent of something that would be in the thousands of kilotons. Uh, Hiroshima, a, Nagasaki kind of deal? Uh, smaller than that, but still. Well, that but was enough to create How long would Mothra? <laughs> <laughs> Against Godzilla, uh, you know, not so yeah. good. But. So, <laughs> but in 1908, the famous Tunguska event happened. Yeah. Uh, and not that so famous, because I'm... Okay, that was... <laughs> 30th of June. Another, another thing that happened in Russia, in Siberia, unfortunately it only flattened oh, hundred, a couple hundred miles worth of trees and a few reindeer, but if that had hit here, it would have wiped out the entire Bay Area. So that was, that was Russia as well? Yes. So asteroids only hit Russia? Well, John, that's And, that's and a tornadoes good point. only happen in trailer parks. Uh, Dr. Hubbard, you're from Kentucky, right? I'm so, from, I know from wherever I speak. Yeah, yeah. No, so, you got, but John, anyway. you raise a good point. Just yep. if you are Finally. an asteroid, <laughs> you're an asteroid and you're going to come in from the north, uh, uh, human map north, it's a good chance you'll hit Russia. It's 11 times over across. Uh, the uh, Chelyabinsk blew up. Uh, it was about two and a half minutes or almost three minutes before the sonic boom hit the ground, right? Everybody ran to the windows to watch it and wham. Yeah, right. But if you get just a little bigger, well, you're saying Chelyabinsk was 17 meters? Thereabouts. Yeah, right. what if you get into feet. the 30 and 50 meters, like the right. size of a football field? Yeah, well, so then... just punch it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it right. blew his shirt off. That's why he was... Uh, <laughs> So if you're in the a size of asteroids in the miles, five eighths of a mile up to a mile kind of size. Exactly. Right. Then you're talking extinction event, as in what happened to the dinosaurs 60 million years ago. Everything going bad for everybody. 10, 10, 20, 30 kilometers. So we'd become like birds and Kimoto dragons. <laughs> Only the cockroaches yeah. would survive. I don't know. So. And right. then if you get down to the hundred meter ish, 300 feet or so. You're talking about cataclysms that are, that are city killers. And then down to the 30, 50 meter range, you have tsunamis. This sounds like science fiction, but it's a real deal. Yes. Right? I mean, and there are maybe a million of these near Earth objects. That, there you go, Eugene. That That's are, thousands. It's a thousand thousand. <laughs> Technically. It's a thousand thousand. That's yeah, what it a is. Thousand, yeah. thousand. There's millions of them headed for Russia. <laughs> <laughs> And, and a handful towards Texas. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing. It could be, this is, you know, people speculate, why haven't we heard from another civilization? People do bring that up, yes. And I've never. it may be that you have to pass the asteroid test, right? That if you don't have a space program mm -hmm. and a virtual institute, yeah. 
uh, for example, or an astrobiological institute, biology institute, you accidentally let yourself get hit with a big rock and everybody dies. It's like... Uh, the reasons the dinosaurs went extinct is that they didn't have a space program. <laughs> as far as we know. Right? <laughs> we, want to be, we want to know a lot about asteroids, right? Yeah, I'd like and to you, tell you You messed you around with Rosetta, didn't you? Well, before we go to Rosetta, I'd just like to tell you that not all asteroids are those big, heavy metal kind that, that we're talking about. And what we're finding out is some of them are big rubble piles. And if you go up to them too fast or you touch them too hard, they're going to disintegrate into a whole bunch of little pieces. But something is holding them together, and the little ones are spinning fast. Is it dark matter? And it is. That, I'm pretty sure it's not dark matter. But, uh, is it epoxy? <laughs> Why won't anyone tell me what dark matter is? <laughs> So, so anyhow, my point is that this is why we have to study these ahead of time, because you don't want to find one coming towards you and go out after it to try and mitigate whatever is going to happen. Mitigate's the same as Bruce Willis yeah. kind of thing? Yeah. yeah. And go up and touch it and, and find it's going to break up into big chunks that are all going to come and hit the Earth. As, as they say, you can't deflect them if you can't find them. They, you know, they say that. That's unfortunate that they and say so, that. So, you know... <laughs> Imagine that you're, you know, looking for a piece of charcoal against the black sky, you know, how would you find that? Well, it turns out, if you're looking away from the sun, the sun's heating it up, it's glowing because it's hot, and so if you could look in the infrared, you can find these guys. Now, when you say glowing and hot, Scott, I've had, I think maybe many of us have experienced a barbecue cookout. Right. It's not, it's not like that, is it? No, but it is much warmer than the blackness. Give me throw some numbers out here. Uh, probably uh, 300 Kelvin. 300 Kelvin? That's yeah. like us. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's warm by the sun. Wow. Uh, Kelvin, anyone? 250, 300. Yeah, you know? yeah he's a good guy. <laughs> Zero Celsius is 273 Kelvin. Right, yeah. So we're talking, degrees Celsius. we're talking, you know, 60, 70. So it's as hot as a regular old day on an asteroid? The, the side facing, facing the, the sun. Facing the sun. So you yeah. want to get in? You need a space telescope. Plane. Oh, tell it. Do you have one? I just so happen. <laughs> <laughs> it just so happens. <laughs> I have the plans here. You do, though, right? It's called Sentinel. Yeah, it's called Sentinel. And it's a, in fact, this was not... Invented out of nothing. A National Academy of Sciences about six years ago said if you want to find these things before they hit the Earth, put a telescope out in deep space, maybe where Venus is, and look out there with the right size of telescope in the infrared where it's glowing mm -hmm. uh, because of the sunlight, and you can find these. Can't find them from the ground, There's too much atmosphere. Are you guys at the Institute working on this? Uh, we don't have a telescope, and we don't have uh, the means to fund a telescope. $15 million a year won't do it. What if we got rid of health care? Would that help? <laughs> <laughs> Briefly. <laughs> but the thing is, if you don't find the asteroid that's coming to hit us, you won't need the health care. Uh, from time to time, the last few months or a year, people at NASA, the asteroid redirect mission. Now. Uh, the asteroid redirect mission. The plan is to go out and get an asteroid, a small one, a charming one. Mm -hmm. And this thing, as I recall, is seven meters, which is um, not very big. Right. I mean, as things go, if seven meters, 
seven meter rock hits the Earth, nothing happens. It just burns up, yeah? Well, the idea about studying the asteroid, uh, if you do bring it back or if you bring a boulder from an asteroid back, is, is really more about the technology that would be involved in learning how to do all the things you want to do with it uh, as much as anything else. Okay. Uh, this sounds like, I mean, the technology that Bruce Willis needed, for example, <laughs> would be a lot bigger and more importantly catastrophically huge than this little thing. Ah, well, so if I put on my Professor Hubbard hat from Stanford. At Stanford. Uh, uh, yeah, at Stanford. Oh, but also from Berkeley. Berkeley. Oh. <laughs> uh, the, I, I, if I were to give the <laughs> ARM mission grade, I would have to give it a D. That's not very good. Why? No. It, well, the reason it's not an F is because there are... <laughs> oh, cool! Because, you know how often I ask that Why question. isn't it a C minus? Is, be, is because there are two technologies that are very useful uh, if we want to send humans to Mars, which is everybody is the horizon goals, where we want to go. And that's the solar electric propulsion for pushing stuff around. How does that work? Uh, well, you bring in sunlight and you use a certain type of gas. You create one of these plasma things. With xenon. Yeah, xenon, yes. The uh, warrior princess or something? Yeah. <laughs> but the ARM mission, my opinion, and it's now shared by the NASA Advisory Council, is that... Uh, Coincidence? Pretty cocky. Perhaps. Pretty cocky. <laughs> We, 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 uh, we took a vote and, uh, right. you know, wrote, and wrote it down, and uh, it, it has nothing to do with there science. There were two of us there. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it has very little to do with human exploration, and it has almost nothing to do with planetary defense, and it'll probably go up in cost by a factor of pi. Other than that, it's fine. Factor of pi, like three and some change. Yes. So I have, I have here uh, the asteroid redire redirect mission recommendation by the... Knack thing. Let's see. There's a risk of meeting the full set of requirements that includes capturing an asteroid, which will cause the arm cost cap to be exceeded. Has anybody ever exceeded a cost cap here? Anyone? Yeah. <coughs> is, is that English? I, there, yeah, so um, you mean it would cost more than that, they though. say it would. Yeah. It means maxing the, out your credit card. Yes. yes. Can't, well, a little more Only in this case, the cost cap is $1.25 billion. The budgetary goalposts moving and budget overruns that will threaten other programs. That's a reason to not do it. Yeah, yeah. Preserve the two technologies. If you're sending humans to Mars, could be very useful. The other stuff, I don't find the rationale personally for doing the AI. Well, you weren't alone. The, the whole that, council said this that, is uh, madness or not the best idea. You guys both work, come at asteroids from two different directions. We're trying to study them to find out what they're made of and how they formed. And, and Scott, you're them. trying to find them. Sentinel is going to look out there and find the million that could be a threat. And so we can pass the asteroid test if we can figure out something akin to the asteroid redirect mission that would actually be useful. Studied asteroids. 
using uh, the Rosetta <coughs> spacecraft. I love the Rosetta mission. I think it's so What did cool. you love about it? Well, it's a comet, and they landed on a comet. That is so hard. Yeah. It was amazing. A comet is not an asteroid, right? No. No. A comet has a lot of ice in it. Mm -hmm. Asteroids, it turns out, have a, some asteroids have a little bit of ice. So we've got asteroids that are starting to act like comets and comets that look a little bit more like asteroids. So, you know, you, we say they're different. They are different. They come from two different regions of the solar system, but they have some similarities. Is and it, they both we, hit the Earth. It's, it's, as the kids say, it's a spectrum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, there's some yeah. asteroids that are born right. as comets. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and... But yeah. can't change themselves. No, they can't morph. Yeah. Right. So, but asteroids, if I understand it, are in the in closer to the sun closer part of in, the solar system, right. and comets are from the farther from the sun part of right. the solar system. Right. But All they have the Oort cloud. The Oort cloud. Or the Kuiper belt. Or the Kuiper belt. Oh, so it's where they came from. That's where. Yeah. Okay. Well, because where they came from determines what they're made of. Because way, way far out there, you know, beyond Pluto. We're going to visit Pluto. You know, we're going to get there on July 15th of this year. We're going to yeah. fly right by it. You guys know that? Yeah. All of us. Well, actually, John, in a sense, yes, everyone. Everyone on Earth will be involved in this. Yep. So, yeah. uh, Dr. Hubbard, you and I crossed paths from time to time. Were, we, were you at the launch of New Horizons? 2006, no. January of 2006. Was, you were there. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. we partied. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> we did. We did on the I deck think we there. Did, on out, yeah. So you guys, I am not an expert on rocket launches, uh, but but you know when you partied in 2006. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. New Horizons is in Jamaica, right? That uh, <laughs> where everyone wears no clothes and they, yeah, yeah. This is a NASA party. It's, it's a like little sandals. different vibe. Yeah. yeah. But uh, if I may, in all seriousness, uh, New Horizons is the name of the mission, and mission is uh, space people talk for rocket ship. And so I, as you may know, on the Science Guy show, I went to a space shuttle launch. Uh, this is a huge freaking rocket, and this is radio, our most visual medium. It was a windy day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it took it a long time, and there was no sock, no foam rubber thing on the microphone. <laughs> so it uh, took a noticeable amount of time to get up through the clouds and up into space. But then New Horizons in 2006 was like, <laughs> and it was gone. It was the fastest rocket anybody's ever shot. The astronauts, astronauts who went to the moon went to two and a half days to get there, something mm -hmm. like that. This yeah. thing went past the moon in nine hours. Wow. And yeah, your tax dollars at work. And, and it's been going ever since. Yeah, and it's been going even faster than that because it went by Jupiter yeah. and got a shoop, a little, but it's in space, so it just went uh, <laughs> past Jupiter. <laughs> and uh, it will arrive in the vicinity of Pluto, Bastille Day, mm -hmm. uh, depending on your time zone, 14th and 15th of July of this year, and we will finally get a look at Pluto. Right. Mm -hmm. And we can all then take a meeting about what actually goes on on Pluto. Icy cloud, watery thing, solid rock. Yeah. Let me yeah. tell you about the resolution you will see, though. It's the equivalent of if, if New Horizons were passing that close to Earth with its instruments, it would be able to see the buildings or the skyline of Manhattan or any city. Wow. So it's that So it'll find all the cities on Pluto. You'll find all yeah. the cities. <laughs> 
Yeah. The ones, the big ones. Yeah. 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 yeah things like New York. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it won't see like Burlington, Vermont. <laughs> They could no one find the band Fish jamming. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that's going to be extraordinary are the pictures, right? And the thing that has always I, I found so compelling and makes me so crazy are the pictures of Mars. And uh, because Mars is a place. I mean, if you were dressed mm -hmm. properly, your uh, suit, uh, you, could, you could walk around. You could have a picnic. Yeah. And uh, along with some other things that Dr. Hubbard has done, you wrote a book. Explore Mars, yes. right? And the uh, the foreword was written by <clears throat> some guy named Bill Nye. The foreword really is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm generally my books, in fact, for the foreword. Yeah. Yeah. But the significance of pictures mm -hmm. is huge in our scientific understanding of oh, things, yeah. right? Yeah. It, it carries such a vast amount of information, and our eye-brain combination is so good at integrating that into a, an understanding. I mean, you go from just an image to understanding in, in a blink, so to speak. Along this line, uh, what is next for the Virtual Institute? And what is next on Mars? What are we trying to achieve in both of these things? We would, we would really like to understand what you need to know before you go. And so that means that uh, you want, if you're going to send humans beyond low Earth orbit again, uh, whether it's to the moon or to near-Earth asteroids or to the moons of Mars and then eventually Mars, you want them to go uh, with the knowledge of what they need uh, to take with them, what they're going to find when they get there, how to protect themselves along the way from radiation, that kind of stuff. That's what our institute's all about. What do they need to know before they go? We have uh, four rovers on Mars. Well, you, Dr. Hubbard, you worked on the first three. Right, and Opportunity is still operating after 10 years later. That's so imagine that. You guys, 10 years later. I mean, it's amazing. And the, the warranty, the warranty was only good for 90 days. I know, 90 <laughs> so. So you guys, it's, like, it's really, it's like if you had a car with a three-year warranty and you didn't change the oil, didn't rotate the tires for 120 years, that would be, that's a bargain. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's like the original Chevys. <laughs> that's, that's your tax dollars at work. Yeah. yeah. The next step is a sample return because we've, we've done the flyby, we've done the orbiter, we've got rovers, we've got uh, still uh, opportunity and curiosity is yeah, operating. Yeah, huge thing. And the next step is now that we've got all this information, is to go and pick that piece of Mars that will tell us are we alone? You know, is that piece of Mars that we pick, we bring back, and we see evidence of past life? So why do we have to bring it back? Ah, there's a bunch of reasons. How but else can you put it in your mouth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't taste it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you should, have you thought about getting him at the Institute? And then... <laughs> I will yeah. now. Can I come and taste all the different things you get from, <laughs> from space? And you get high from it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so imagine if you got samples here, and we've done this with the samples that the astronauts brought back from the moon. Instead of having 10 scientists look at it, you can have thousands of scientists look at it. Instead of one moving laboratory, you have dozens of laboratories all over the world. And that's the power of looking at a sample. 
And 10 years or 15 or 20 years in the future, you can use the new technology and the new instruments to look at those same samples if you took good care of them. Yeah, yeah. Like and find new stuff, Apollo. like the, like the water, water right. in these rocks. You know, they, when I was in charge of the Lunar Prospector mission, we said it was a cup of water and a cubic yard of dirt was what we found in those shadowed craters. That would be detectable, though, yeah. yeah. But, but what mm -hmm. they found from these old lunar samples that, that people brought back from the Apollo mission was this parts per billion that nobody even knew was there. And, right. that, was, and that would not have happened if we didn't handle the samples. How hard would it be to take the water that does exist on the moon and, and access it to make water that we could realistically use? The stuff that is in the shadowed craters would probably be easier, but you could probably mine the other stuff. But by comparison, uh, Mars has maybe tens of billions of gallons of water. I mean, there are places on Mars that are 80% water ice, and so you just stick in a shovel and warm it up, and there you go. You've got water. Nothing Boom, to it. done. So to get this sample, this thing, um, it's taking a long time. We only do this every, we only go every 26 months because of the orbits of Earth and Mars. So what is mm -hmm. the next thing? We got to get the 2020 rover, right. which will be like the Curiosity rover, which landed in 2012. Ten years later, or eight years later, will land on Mars. Mm -hmm. Does it land in 2020? It launches in 2020. Launches in 2020, so it lands in 2021 it, and a half. Yeah, end of 2020, beginning. It depends on the specific. Yeah, it depends. Okay, yeah, so but that thing's going to get a sample. It's going to cache a sample. C-A-C-H-E. C-A-C-H-E, yes. It's going to put in somewhere between 20 and 40 little sort of chalk-sized chunks of Mars picked from a bunch of different places. Because it's driving around picking Because it's up. moving around. Then what happens? Then the They're second... They're sitting there on Mars. Two, yeah, so then if you had the budget all lined up, then two years after that, you'd send something that would orbit, and then two years after that, you'd send the lander that would go out, grab that sample, that little ball, that cache, and put it in a rocket. The rocket would point at the sky and fire, and the ball would go up and Carefully. rendezvous with the waiting orbiter and bring it back. So it's going to be 2026 or 2028. This is the Mars Ascent Vehicle. The Mars, the MAV. The Mars Mav. Ascent so, so basically in around... 2029 or 2030 is when we would get stuff. That's right. Yeah. So when we get to really look at this Get a one. taste. Yeah, yeah, get a taste, taste of Mars. Yeah, taste of Mars. Then I can finally open my little bistro taste of Mars. <laughs> where I'd have one rock from Mars and everyone would put it in their mouth and put it back down. <laughs> so couldn't we just go there right now if we had the chain, the, ch the coin, the money? Couldn't, I mean, do we need to know more about it to land there? You mean to do the sample return mission? No. Or, I mean... <laughs> to send you? For, yeah, well, yeah, I'm not really... Somebody qualified <laughs> uh, would go there and walk around with a hammer and look for signs of life, right? right. Yeah. yeah. Maybe Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> <laughs> no, because this is an old thing. Uh, and I think, Dr. Herbert, I've heard you speak about this. What our very best robots do in a week... A human can do in about a minute. That's is right. That, is that yeah. right? That's right, yeah. If you take a really good field astrobiologist and say, go over there and tell me what that rock is, he or she will look around and say, oh, okay, pick it up, use the rock hammer, break it open, look at it with the microscope, and gerocyte, ha! Less Gerocyte. Than a yeah, perfect. <laughs> Less than a minute. 
It takes the spirit, opportunity, curiosity rovers, all the commands and all the work they had to do you know, on the order of uh, days to accomplish the same thing. Is it significantly more expensive to send people because of how you have to keep them alive? Yeah, yeah. So you're... <laughs> so assuming you want to hey, keep them alive... But, they've all died. Yeah. <laughs> but meaning then, like, the three or four trips over a period of, like, basically, like, 16 years or something. So yeah, so if you, were, if you had 10 to 100 times more money... Oh, going, just a second. 10 to 100? That's a range. It is. <laughs> because, you know, I mean, do you want to just have linoleum in your spacecraft or, you know, a really no, nice... No, you would have really nice, or... like, uh, Victorian doors. And... <laughs> yeah. We yeah. would send a very fancy spaceship. Yeah. I mean, do you want real mahogany or veneer? Yeah, or yeah. 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 stuff like that. are important yeah. decisions. Uh, yeah, because it's very difficult to compare the generic robotic mission with the generic human exploration mission. But sending humans because of the life support and all the other issues is at least 10 times, maybe as much as 100 times more expensive. So you mean we could do it in three years if somebody was like, here's the if, if you if you dollars. had If you had, well, if Jeff Bezos just wrote a blank check. Jeff yeah. Bezos of uh, Amazon. Yeah. Should we yeah. try texting him? <laughs> uh, <laughs> has anyone just texted? <laughs> so, it, so if you had, you know, at your disposal, you know, many, many tens of billions of dollars and you didn't care... Uh, how you uh, spend it. You didn't need to spread it out like the government does because they have a year-to-year budget, right. and you could just have one big glob of money. You could do it in a single mission. So oh, mission. Yeah. that's why you have to wait and, for uh, and how much would that mission cost? Like, maybe we could do a Kickstarter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're talking about. Right. Yeah. The annual budget for planetary science is $1.5 billion, which sounds like a lot, but it's... Not that much. It's 9% of the NASA, but less than 10% of the NASA budget. Which is one half of 1% of the federal budget. Yeah. You if, guys love being bummed about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> with good reason. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, just to remind you, you're getting a good deal. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I, th- I think it's a great deal. I'd give it more money. Yeah, exactly. But so, I have very little say. You know, we advocate for getting more money for planetary science because these extraordinary discoveries are made for not on the cheap, but for a lot less money than a lot of other stuff that we spend and even NASA spends money on. But here's the interesting thing that I think people like in what is called, Scott, I think, New Space. New Space. You were editor-in-chief of New Space magazine? That's correct. Peer-reviewed journal. There are people like at SpaceX Uh and Jeff Bezos, you just mentioned, Elon Musk at SpaceX, Jeff Bezos, who just want to go to Mars. Let's go. Boom. Go. Because if we had the cash, uh, the C-A-S-H, and uh, the, the other drive, <laughs> yeah, you could just go there, right? I mean, you could. We, we, ha- we know enough about the Martian surface, the Martian atmosphere, the Martian gravity, the radiation environment. The, the one big thing... Oh, that! Oh, nah. The one big thing <laughs> is right now nobody's got a single rocket that will get the kind of tonnage you need to Mars to support human beings, A, and B. Tonnage is... Uh, like lots of stuff, you know, 10, 40, 40 metric tons of life support. That's what it comes down to, is how do you support someone or a group of four or six people going out 
you know, the six, seven months it takes to get there, spending some time there, and then the six, seven months back. So maybe three years round trip. Maybe you stop at asteroids and pick up some of the materials you might need. That's uh, right. That's my recommendation. <laughs> Oxygen is us, right? You know. But Yvonne, that's part of the idea, right? Exactly. If we understood what was there and, and where they are, the uh, we could do that. Right? Yeah, yeah it would be a way station. Right. Yeah. right. Absolutely could be. Yeah. Or you could stop on the way. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you yeah. would get like Kit Kats yeah. and then you know yeah. right. oxygen and water. And everything you need. Fossil fuels. So you guys, we are we are on the way to Mars. Here's the plan right there. I hope you enjoyed Star Talk Radio. Turn it up loud.